Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? My name is Rebecca, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends and peers to figure out, well, how the fuck they got to be so confident. In this episode, I Skype with actor and model Raquel Shank. We talk about continuing on in spite of fear, the importance of courage, learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, and so much more. This is How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? with guest Raquel Shank. Hey, Raquel. Hi, Rebecca. How's it going? It's going well. How's your quarantine? Oh, so good. So good. Staying sane, Staying healthy, sane. all that. That's all you can do at this point. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for doing this for me. Um, oh, well, let's jump into this. Do you consider yourself a confident person? Um, you know, when you asked me to do this podcast, I was completely blindsided. I was like, what? Me? Confident? Like, what do you mean? Um, and then I kind of gave it more thought. And I, my snap answer would have been no. Mm-hmm. I do not consider myself a confident person. But as I kind of gave it more thought, um, I would say that I consider myself confident in some areas. And then maybe the more apt word would be I consider myself a courageous person. Oh, I love that. I'm writing that down already. Um, and that's been sort of the consensus of these interviews is like, I feel confident in some areas, not so in others, and it comes and goes in waves. So that's like, I feel like that's pretty normal. What, what do you feel confident in? Um, I, you know, I feel confident. I feel my confident in my ability to like socialize and love people well. And like when I have someone in front of me, I feel confident that I'm going to be able to engage with them, um, in a, like a, you know, exciting and connected way. Um, I feel confident in areas of expertise. You know, like we met, uh, we met it through the bridal industry, which was fun. Um, and I feel very confident in that area because I have known so much about it and I have spent so much time steeped in that area. So I love talking about it and I feel confident when I engage with that material. Um, also, you know, acting, uh, modeling, things like that, things I know a lot about. I'm very confident that I can engage with those with like a surety and strength. So like, just to throw this back to you. So like relation, like interpersonal connections, relationships, mm-hmm. um, styling and yeah. acting and modeling. Correct. And have you, have you always felt that way about these or have you experienced like in the beginning of let's say your modeling career, did mm-hmm. you feel kind of out, like not, uh, I guess just not confident yeah. I mean, you know, I, maybe it's unfair to say that I feel confident in those areas. Maybe I should say I feel confident in those areas more so than not. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. But I think there are definitely moments that uh, in my life that would suggest that I was, you know, certainly not confident or things that would occur or more more often than not feelings of self-doubt. You know, obviously there's always like a little brain devil going on constantly plaguing, yeah. at least me, that comes up um, to kind of like try to beat me back down and I sort of have to like fight it which is why I would use the word courage over confidence because it's sort of trying to put myself out there in spite of this voice that is ever present totally how did and I haven't talked to any models yet so Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to talk to you to hear that perspective because I don't really know anything about it um yeah how did you get into modeling um you know (laughs) it's kind of funny um I actually got into modeling because one of my best friends in college uh wanted to get into photography and I was like, well, if you're going to want to take photos of me, he was like, yes. I, he's like, I want you to take pictures. Like, do you mind? And I was like, well, I'm going to have to be drunk if we're going to do this. <laughs> so we went to a parking garage on our college campus. And I was like, you know, taking shots and all this stuff. 
So he took this one picture of me where I'm like, you know, feeling it. So I'm a little buzzed in that shot. <laughs> and this agency saw a photo of me like completely blitzed in a parking garage. And then they were like, we want to meet this girl. And he called me and was like, hey, some agency reached out to me and wants to meet you. Do you want to go into the office? And I was like, wow, that's hilarious. If only they knew. And then went in and then they signed me immediately. Was that me- in LA or what city was that in? That was in LA. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so you didn't grow up modeling. No, no. I mean, I think I was kind of interested in it. I mean, a top model was my favorite show. Like I absolutely loved it. My friends and I every week would sit down and then, you know, we would do all those stupid photo shoots that you do when you're young and things like that. But no, it wasn't like an ambition of mine. Mm. So being, so you were kind of like thrown into it then if you like, you took like, you had like one photo session with your friend and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now you're signed to an agency and you're going on, I don't know, I, I don't know what the audition equivalent for modeling is called. It's what I call it castings. Okay. So mm-hmm. then you start going on castings and, mm-hmm. or you have to get a book together, I guess. Yeah. So, so like, kind of, that, that was what kind of uh, came up next is I had to put together a portfolio and I would go on castings with my very few meager photo shoots in my book. And you kind of like slowly but surely build your client base. And, you know, you work for smaller clients before you start booking like bigger clients. I think I probably worked for a few years uh, before I started booking anything that was kind of exciting or notable. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then how, I mean, is that nerve wracking going into these castings like pretty green? Yeah, it, it definitely was. I mean, thankfully, I don't know if I, I was young, so I maybe didn't know enough to be afraid, uh, which was maybe to my benefit. But I always had the perspective when I was doing castings uh, that I was either going to be completely right for it or not. And it wasn't my fault if I wasn't right for it. I'm like, well, it's either I'm perfect or or they need somebody else. And that's great. And like, if it's my job, it's going to be my job. And if it's not my job, it's going to be someone else's job. And that's fantastic. Do you, and I'm, do yeah, you feel like that about acting jobs as well as modeling jobs? Acting is definitely tricky, trickier for me in terms of confidence because it's more your soul on display. Mm. So that absolutely um, presents like its own vulnerabilities and self-doubts. I absolutely experience more self-doubt in terms of acting because it's just all of you, you know? It's not just like, oh, I, they didn't like my eyebrows and they needed somebody, you know, with this or, you know, they wanted a blonde and that's nothing to do against my character. Mm-hmm. So definitely acting can it's a more vulnerable. So how did you get place. into acting then? Did you study it in college? Or did you start in some some people like did it in high school or tell me about that process? Yeah, I mean, I I was I was acting from a really young age, um, but obviously I majored in it in college. I was very intent on it being um, the focus of my life. But I had always acted when I was a kid. I loved to perform. I would put on little plays in the backyard for my neighbors. I would invite them all with these little flyers, and I just thought it was so much fun. Um, and my parents encouraged me in that direction. So I kind of, it always felt as though it was my thing. Yeah. And then in high school, that was the community that really embraced me. And to be honest, like, I was super grateful for that. I was like, these people are incredible. It's a community that accepts everybody, like race, you know, despite or in spite of race, creed, um, you know, social standing, age, beauty, whatever, you know, all, and that is obviously um, objective. But uh, I really liked that. You know, like these whole like band of misfits that is just embracing all of who you are. I was like, I want to be a part of that. So as a kid, were you confident? Like as a kid, kid? I think so. I think that I was, I was, people always said that I was very loud as a child. So I don't know if that equates to confident. Um, but yeah, I was always kind of like running around singing and socializing. And did you, did you grow up? What was like your family structure growing up? Did you have any siblings or? 
I did. I'm a middle child. Okay. So older sister, younger brother, and all of us are very close in age. Okay. Um, yeah, within 18 months apart, all of us. So how did being a middle child affect your confidence? You know, I wouldn't have known back in the day. I mean, now, obviously, we've all done our reading on middle children, and right. apparently I am textbook. So. <laughs> I don't even know what a textbook middle child is. Um, a, a textbook middle child would say that you're trying, like, you don't get all of the attention that the oldest got because now you're there's a, you're a second, so you're always trying to um, kind of be loud and, mm. you know, get attention and trying to, like, either be better than your older sibling or you're not getting as much attention as the youngest sibling because they need a little bit more care usually growing up because they're younger and people are focused on them. So middle children tend to um, be a little verbose. Okay. Is the okay. Feedback. But you generally were confident. I think so. I definitely have my weird little things, but I think that I was an outgoing child. Did you ever have any time in your adolescence where you didn't feel confident or like some event happened that like kind of knocked you down or were you pretty much smooth sailing? Um, no, oddly enough, I was just talking to a friend about this, actually. Um, I had a very bizarre fear of, uh, like, people in uniform. Oh. So, like, in any uniform. Like, I would have been petrified to go up and talk to, like, a worker at Best Buy. You know, if they were wearing something that, like, indicated that they were in a professional field, I had a, I would have meltdowns. So, like, almost like them. an authority figure, kind of? Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that would make me incredibly nervous. Do you have any, like, anything specific or just, like, all the, like, all like the that? Time? I mean, even, sometimes, it sometimes still even happens now, and it's the weirdest thing ever. Like, if a shop worker greets me and is like, hi, can I help you? I'm like, no, and then I'll leave the store. Like, I'll have these fears that come up, and I'm like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, technically, wow. they're doing their job, and they're being good at it, and I'm like, oh, my God, what has happened? Like, that a uniform so... individual has just approached me. I must leave. That <laughs> is so interesting. I like so get weird. the I, I get the idea of it, but I just think it's so that that it's funny even when it's like a Best Buy worker. It's probably unpackable. I should probably speak. To I know. I'm like. I'm like. I want to unpack it right now, but um. We can unpack it. I wonder if something happened. That's like at a young I, age or something. I know. I wonder too. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. How was your like? middle school life a lot of guests that I've had have been like that was the hardest time that's when I lost my confidence like a lot of people have said like I was a very confident kid hit middle school (laughs) everybody was shitty to me yeah um I do remember middle school being being tough I there was one specific instance in middle school that honestly really screwed me up for a couple years and I still think about it um, there was this one girl who was kind of like the cool girl in our class. And, um, I was trying to, you know, like we all wanted to be part of the cool in crowd. Totally. And I think I was with her and her friends one day and kind of chatting with her. And then she just turns to me and she goes, Raquel, you're not cool and you will never be cool. So stop trying. And I was like, Oh, I was devastated. I was like completely mortified. And I just like that stuck with me for ages. And I have always told myself and carried this belief with me that I'm not cool. I'm like, well, great. So I'm not cool. Um, and it's still affects me. Yeah. How did that, like, uh, in that moment, how did that affect you? Like, did you, did your personality change at all or like, uh, yeah. like, did you become more introverted or like, what would you say was the result of that experience? Cause that's very traumatic for, for anybody, but especially when you're so young and you're still form like forming who you are as a person mm-hmm. that affects you completely. Um, I think it actually, in the immediate, it made me go on this sort of desperate quest 
to prove that I could be cool mm -hmm. or that I was cool. And I specifically remember um, when, because I switched middle from middle school to high school, I went to different schools. And I remember the summer before freshman year, like crafting this entire list of all the things that I was going to do to be cool and make sure that I was cool. And, you know, obviously this word is very loud in my mind. So, um, and tried to do all these things. And it was odd because that year, freshman year, I had absolutely no friends. I was completely inauthentic. I wasn't myself. I was not wow. living in this like the space. And I remember just eating lunch alone in the bathroom, like many, many times, like hidden on the stall with my feet, like up on the toilet, like eating my lunch. And so no one could see that I was there. And it was mortifying until eventually I just gave up. And I was like, well, maybe she was right. I will never be cool. So may as well abandon this pursuit and I'll just be warm instead. So, and I just, it honestly, and then I finally found who I was and I was like, maybe it's not a problem that I'm not cool. So you, kind, benefits. So you kind of had to like hit some trauma there mm. to then like make this list, try the things on the list, then realize that that list isn't who you are. Yeah. And then, okay. Okay. Yeah, it did not work. It definitely it made it put me in a very inauthentic place, and I didn't warm anyone to me. Nobody enjoyed that person. I didn't even enjoy that person, and it was a daily struggle to try to become somebody that I really wasn't. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. once you sort of gave that up, you got your confidence back a little bit. Yeah, well, I sort of gave – it was sort of this, uh, like, I don't care anymore. I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily gain confidence back, but I was very much – I kind of became angry, and I was like, screw it. I'm going to be myself. You all can deal with it, and – like, if it doesn't work, I'm no worse off because I have no friends anyway. So who cares? Yeah. And it had the opposite effect. And I obviously then at that point, mm -hmm. I gained so many friends and I had a wonderful experience. And I started becoming friends with everyone uh, because it was just so much easier to just be me. So how does that play? Okay. So I'm, I'm like thinking of your, your life and then mm -hmm. you go into college and you pursue acting. Correct. And you have a pretty confident college experience. Was that here in LA? I went to UC Irvine, so oh, okay. Orange County. Okay. And I did have a confident college experience. Um, I, yeah, I, I loved school and I had such a wonderful group of friends. I had so much fun. Uh, I don't recall any instances of like, yeah. you know, as much self-doubt in college. So then the you real world brings that out, but. Yeah, I was going to say, so then you moved to LA and you like start this journey into adulthood. Um, mm -hmm. How did that play into your con? Did you move to LA and you immediately started doing acting stuff or like, mm -hmm. what was that process like? And was, I mean, moving to a new city, especially a one as big as Los Angeles mm -hmm. can really impact people's confidence. You have like no friends or maybe you already did. Um, I know I didn't mm -hmm. when I moved here. Um, and you sort of have to like refine yourself. Yeah. I mean, I moved to, moved to LA um, and I was here for all of two months before I ended up kind of lifting up and out and went on this tour modeling. Um, so I, and I went to pursue acting and I was booking things. I was like taking classes and I was starting to book little short films and I booked my first show and like, you know, just like little co-stars yeah. and things like that. But it was starting to cruise and then modeling world lifted me up and out and started, start, sent me traveling internationally. And to oh. me, I, that just felt like an exciting journey. So I just said yes to it, even though it hadn't been the original plan. Oh, okay. So how long, where did you go and how long were you gone for? Yeah. So I lived in, I lived in Tokyo, Paris, Milan, Athens, and New York, and then would travel internationally for work. But I spent a significant amount of my 20s 
just living in different countries. And then I eventually became permanently based out of New York and I would travel from there. I had no idea. Okay, so this is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so which country did you feel the most confident in? Because I can imagine if you don't speak the language, that's like a huge, I mean, that's, to me, that would be scary. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I absolutely love languages and I would always try to immerse myself in the language and learn as much as I could while I was there. Um, and I think that I felt the most confident. Ooh, which one? I worked the most in Athens. It was my first trip. And I don't think I should have felt confident, but I was so excited. And I don't think I knew enough not to, to like not to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So I think it probably was there. I definitely experienced moments of like strife and I was doing so many weird little jobs because I was just starting out. But but yeah, I think maybe Athens. And then from progressively from there, um, I think that the confidence came and went, uh, but, but yeah, but I, I enjoyed myself when I traveled. I that did. is so cool. So like for years and years, you were traveling the world modeling. Yes. Did anything ever happen that like knocked your confidence, whether it be like meeting a photographer or I don't know. I don't really know what the modeling world is like. Completely. And I would say a million instances where you really have to, like, that I kind of overcame. One of the most prominent was when I landed in Tokyo. The way Japan um, operates modeling contracts is they give you a guarantee of the money you're going to make in advance. And if you make anything above that, then great, you get to keep it. But otherwise, it's like, they say, like, hey, you're going to make, you know, $20,000 for this, like, period of time. And if you don't make it, then, you know, like, it's kind of guaranteed. But they have the option to send you home and then completely like negate the contract if you sort of like there are all these loopholes um that they can kind of just like shirk their end of the deal this is wild to me so uh uh-huh and so i landed in tokyo um i was about to turn 24 and i was pretty considered pretty old to be a model in japan uh it's a very young industry especially uh in asian countries um and they measured me at 11 o'clock at night, the entire agency was there. They took out a measuring tape and they measured my hips, my waist and my chest, which is they're always checking to see your measurements. And they told me I was five centimeters too large. So around my hips and if I didn't lose the weight in two weeks, I was gonna go home. And I absolutely did not want to experience that sense of failure in front of my agency, my family, friends. You know, I told everyone I was coming on this trip and I was totally devastated. And I landed in the middle of this monsoon. It was crazy. And then so they put me in my little apartment that they were, I was staying in. And then I got there around midnight. And I immediately just started running stairs for like an hour and a half. And woke up the next morning and started running miles and miles and miles. And I ended up losing the weight in two weeks. Not that anyone should have to lose the weight. But I didn't want to go home. And that was the stipulation that they had provided. Uh, but I, it absolutely shook my confidence. I felt, I felt like... <laughs> I don't even know. I would say I felt fat or big or, yeah. you know, it was, they were attacking my person, but there was nothing I could really do about it. That's so interesting. So how, so you, so you lost the weight for this, this particular contract, mm-hmm. but did you still feel internally like not, I don't want to say not good enough. Cause I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, mm-hmm. did you, what, what did that, what was the residual emotions left over from that? Or did you lose the weight and you were like, okay, great, I'm going to move on. Or like, how did, yeah, how did that affect you? Um, I think that's like yeah. a huge deal. It was a little traumatizing out the yeah. gate. Um, I think that 
initially it made me feel really inadequate and I felt like I sort of shamed myself quite a lot. Um, and then, but eventually when I did it and I achieved it, I didn't think I would be able to, I did feel confidence as a result of being like, you know what, like take that, like shove it. I obviously did what you thought I could not do and you can't send me home now because I did exactly what you wanted and they were surprised and I felt pretty great about having achieved it. Yeah. What is the, what, how is the modeling world in terms of like size and shape and height and all of that sort of thing? Is it as intense as it appears to be? Is it getting better? Do you have any thoughts on that? How was it when you were there? I mean, it sounds at least in the one that you just spoke about pretty, uh, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. I mean, it is really intense. Um, I think it is improving. There have been so many, um, so many instances and obviously the body positivity movement has affected modeling in a big way. Um, and I also think that honestly, Instagram has completely changed things like height and weight do not matter as much anymore as influence. So that has become a huge, uh, a huge reason that girls book work and things are completely shifting and it's totally changed the industry. When I was doing it, it was sort of the last wave of girls who would like carry a book that was actually like physical and you had to maintain a certain measurement and there was no such thing as social media. You know, I think we had Facebook and things like that, but you couldn't essentially uh, promote your own marketing. That was not a thing. Your only marketing was on your agency's website and they would pitch you and you, you would meet them and show them your hard copies and that would be it. And it was, it was intense. You had to maintain a certain measurement and um, you could not go out. Of that was in your contract that you had to maintain a certain weight. And wow. the only, the widest measurement that they would ever advertise on a website um, would be um, like a 35 inch hip would be at your widest, would be the widest. That it's is so, crazy. that is so wild to me because like that takes, that doesn't take into account like bone, like your bones. Completely. And not at all. And a certain height as well. So it's like, and the reason being is that a lot of like sample clothing, the whole, the whole reason it's like that is because um, couture is only made in a very specific measurement because there's only one of each garment made and they all make it according to that measurement. And so it's, beca it's become the standard um, for the fashion industry. And until couture changes its measurements, the modeling measurements will not change. Wow. Mm -hmm. So how did, so do you, you still model, but you don't, I do, but you're not, not, enough, like, not as aggressive. Like I'm not doing international contracts. I'm not, it's not my main focus, uh, but I will still accept work. So now that you don't have to stay to this like specific measurement, mm -hmm. how does that affect your day to day? Like, does that, are you still, cause if it were me and I'm, and you know, weight is still something that is something that I'm working on too, body image and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. but that would, have effect that would affect my confidence if I if for years and years and years it was mm -hmm. in your contract to be this size and now yes. you don't have those stipulations anymore mm -hmm. do you still try to like be in that size and then totally. like how does that affect your mental when you're not which is totally obviously great and okay to be not in that contract size because that's un unsustainable and possibly unhealthy but Correct. like but like mentally I just don't that switch is is that change seems so challenging. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It still absolutely screws with my head and I still have a measuring tape and I still will measure myself to check and see. But that being said, I'm no longer those measurements right. and I feel better right. to be quite frank. Um, it's still definitely, like I'll still beat myself up if I feel as though I'm going too far outside of the measurements because it was such a, a regulation in my life for so long. 
Um, but that being also that being said, I do styling work as well. And almost every woman I encounter hates her own body. And I almost every woman I encounter is also super gorgeous and their bodies are incredible. And the body dysmorphia that I have experienced, even just kind of coming from the other side of it, just makes me want to tell women like you are beautiful. I'm telling you right now, a size six looks better than a size zero. Like, trust me, like it is, there's so many, it's just so nice to see women with like curves and not even that a six is curves mm -hmm. and women who are, you know, size 12s and 14s are also incredibly sexy and they have so much confidence. And I just want women to just love their own bodies. It's become a life mission of mine to just be like, I don't know what messaging we got, but every single woman in the world has apparently gotten it, that something is wrong with her body. And it doesn't matter what size she is. There's always something going on. That's, do you feel like styling, so mm -hmm. like kind of being on the other side of it, yeah. has given you more confidence in your own body and in your own self? Definitely, actually. It's, it made me want to be, like take on a mission to say, you know, women, we've gotten some bad messaging somewhere. Clearly someone wanted to screw with our heads. Like, let's take this upon ourselves to love our own bodies. And I, I love my body. I absolutely love it. I mean, there are certain moments when I'm like, oh, you know, like I feel... I also love the gym. I love the feeling of endorphin highs and working out. And I honestly work out more for my mental health mm -hmm. now than yeah. for my own like physical totally. appearance. Um, but I, yeah, I would say that it's had a positive effect on me personally to walk other women through body image issues. I'm trying to think of like how to word that in my, in my writing right now, like treat yourself as you would treat like your best friend almost or maybe. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, that's a good way to put it or I don't know. Like, I think instead of being pissed at our own bodies, we should be pissed at the media because something, some messaging somewhere has gotten into the heart and mind of every single woman. And it's a shame because I think that women are missing out on the experience of loving their bodies while they're in them. Totally. And I'm, I, okay, wait, I, now I'm going to go on a tangent. So I want to like direct this before I move on, move on. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of how to word seeing other people I don't know how to word it like because you got confidence mm -hmm. in your own body through seeing how beautiful other people's bodies are correct okay and also I will uh, yeah so it's like so it's almost like also, focusing less on yourself maybe either that or just like I'm always in awe of uh, of other women in particular like women I, and mainly because I, obviously, there's a lot of men that I adore and respect, but I feel as though I've had the opportunity to be vulnerable with more women um, in my experience. And what I have learned in particular is it does not matter how physically beautiful a woman is. That does not indicate to me if she is beautiful or not, because I have met some of the most insane freak aliens you've ever met in your life, like absolute gorgeous human beings that you just don't even know how they're walking the planet. And there's something about them, either their personality or their unwillingness to um, to love others or they lack kindness. And I'm telling you, it affects their physical attractiveness. And I've met some of the most gorgeous women in the world who are not by any stretch of the imagination supermodels, but they have these, maybe it's confidence or maybe it's, you know, who knows, but they are absolutely a thousand times more beautiful than some of these women who would be considered conventional, conventionally in society, by societal standards, yeah. uh, beautiful. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's just, it's helped me expand my definition of beauty. Almost like a perspective change, too. Completely. Okay, I'm writing that one down. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
And now I can't remember the next question I was going to ask you. Um, uh, no, that wasn't it. <laughs> um, okay, so I love so much that styling kind of changed your perspective on mm. your your body, on yourself, and I just love that so much. And I didn't, I didn't even equate those two things together until we're having mm. this conversation right now. Um, yeah. Okay, so then how has, so let's go, let's go back into acting for a little sure. bit. Um, so you were speaking a little bit on vulnerability and how acting causes a little more, I don't know, and you didn't use the word anxiety, but. We can use that word though. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, as opposed to modeling, which is kind of like take it or leave it. It's more your soul that you're bearing. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced any, whether it's an audition or a job on set that has caused you to lose your confidence and how did you gain it back? You know, this is where the word courageous over confidence uh, comes into play for me here because I experience self-doubt around acting work all the time because it's so, Why do you so- think that is? You know, I think it's because I, it's some, I care more about it. Mm. So the stakes are higher. So I automatically am grading myself at a different like level than something that I, you know, feel like I don't, yeah, I don't care as much about my heart isn't as much in it. So this, you know, I kind of ride those waves, like my heart rides those waves and with a little bit more aggression, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I, there's things that strip my confidence there all the time. And I think that I always am acting in the presence of fear and self-doubt, which is why I would call it courage, because I'll push through it anyway. And I've just gotten used to that feeling of fear and self-doubt being there and then acting in spite of it. Oh, okay. So like, kind of like accepting, like accepting where you are Mm -hmm. and persevering. Yeah. Like I've just accepted that, you know, those feelings will be there. And that's always been the case for me. Like before stepping out on stage, even as a young kid, you know, feelings of anxiety, am I going to be terrible? Is this, am I going to fall flat on my face in this performance? Am I going to forget a line? You know, all of those thoughts will come up and then, but still your cue comes and you step out on stage anyway and whatever happens just happens. So, but you step out on the stage in spite of those feelings. Yeah. So like learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable Exactly. Completely. Get real comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. It will serve you. Okay. So is there like a particular instance where like you had to really call upon that like side of you where you have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable more so than others? Or is it just like generally in all audition scenarios or, you know, whatever scenario you find it in? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, whenever... Hmm. I mean, it's, it's usually present for me regardless, uh, unless I feel um, like it's somehow exactly in my wheelhouse. And of course, those I will never get. The ones that you think that you're like, oh, this is perfect. How could it not be? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, you never get those. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that's... Hmm. Or like, how do you not take rejection person rejection I'm gonna say that in quotation yeah because it's not rejection but like how do you not take that personally I do take it personally so then what do so, you do with that um I take it either, personally and then you go home and what I'll either journal it out or yeah. I will go to my I will go to my loved ones who I trust and I will kind of vent it 
journaling. Um, Okay, so like not keeping it in, not keeping it inside. Yeah. And I have learned to let things go over the years. I have learned to just release it. Like once it's done, I put it in a box and I try not to think about it regardless of, I never expect to get a call. I never expect that I'm going to get any move forward at whatsoever. And then when I do, or if I do, it's always a pleasant surprise. So I always expect it's the end of the road every time I go in and audition. Wow. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so how's your life on set? Cause you worked on days of our lives. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. and that process is different than other acting jobs. Yes, it is. So can you, um, describe a little bit about it? Yeah. And actually this sort of is very apt in terms of speaking about confidence or just, you know, releasing it as soon as it's done, because in soap opera, um, you get one take every single time. So they're printing it no matter what is happening, unless you completely fumble up a line or you've really destroyed the story somehow, that's the take they're doing and they're moving forward with it. (laughs) It is scary, but I did have some of like a producer and the director um, came up to me on my first day and they just said like, you have to leave it all out on the floor immediately. Like whatever you wanted to do, you've got to just go in like to the heart of that place and you have to do it full out or we're not going to get it. And I experienced that a couple of times where I would do a take and they'd be like, got it, moving on. And I'm like, wait, no, don't move on. Like, don't move on. Don't do that. Because I tend to find, um, at least in my work or when I'm auditioning or putting together tapes, that my work will appreciate as it goes on. Totally. So the first take, I'm like, don't print the first take. What are you thinking? Like, yeah. print the fourth take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But, um, but it did help me learn how to just put it all out there. Uh, and it was a really good exercise in um, bringing all you have in your first go. Okay, I'm writing that one down too. So, like, <laughs> fearlessness. Not, I don't think fearlessness. I would argue that fear is present. I would still say courage. Um, which courage, to me, the definition of courage is acting in the presence of fear. And I have just trusted that I am going to be a person who you, fear is present. And I just have to be like, there's fear. That means that it's go time. I feel like the theme of this talk is like courage, courageousness. And yeah. and that actually hasn't been a word that has come up so far in mm-hmm. doing these um, interviews. Like fearlessness has come up. Really? Yeah, but not courage. And I love, I just love that. So it's just like continuing on in spite of the fear. The fear. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. And I will say that actually doing that will give you confidence because yeah. you will come through it and realize that you survived and you either achieved something great or you didn't die in the process. Yeah. So what do you do like on a day-to-day basis that helps you with confidence? Like I talked to someone who, who really needs to have a routine in order mm-hmm. to feel confident and like they can take on their day. Do you have anything like that that you feel gives you confidence? Like stuff that like listeners could also do. Yeah. Um, I would say that um, I always feel most confidence, confident when I'm consistently casting votes for the person that I want to be. Um, this was a concept that I learned in the book uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, which if you have not read yet, I highly recommend. Ooh, I'm running um, Yeah, it's a great book. Um, and he essentially says like the only way, um, and I'll probably butcher some of it and it won't be exact. I'm adapting here, uh, to achieve confidence or to make a actual permanent change, um, is to essentially like do activities that allow you to believe that you are the person that you want to be. So for instance, if you want to be a fit person, 
like just showing up at the gym every single day will cast a vote for you being a fit person. And eventually your identity will change based on those things. And it's just like every time you do even one small activity that says I'm fit, like eating, you know, fruits and vegetables, you cast a vote for yourself being a fit person. And eventually your identity will match all of your actions. And that's when you will believe be that you are that thing. And so every day, like you cast in every action, every choice is casting votes for the type of person you want to be, whether you choose something that's negative or not good for you or choose something that's wonderful for you. And the more votes you stack up in favor of that person, um, you will eventually then become that person. So it's like you don't have to do anything big to be the person you want to be. If you do these little things that can be like as small as I'm going to use something from my my personal life that uh, mm -hmm. is so small probably to other people, but when I do it, I feel like an organized person. It's like I hate folding my clothes so much. And now we have a guest room, and I'll just, like, throw mm -hmm. them on the bed because I'm just like, I fucking – I don't want to do this. Yeah. But, like, when I, when I put my clothes away, I'm casting a vote that I'm an organized person. Correct. I love and, that. Okay. and actually, um, my entire, um, my focus of the year, I always pick some one thing to focus on every year. I don't like to do resolutions because I tend to find that I don't achieve them. Um, so I always devote my year to a concept. And this year, my concept is uh, becoming 1% better every day because I am the type of person who will abandon pursuits if they are too big. Like mm -hmm. I will, if I don't feel as though I've achieved them, I'm like, I Suck, I can't do this. Like, obviously, I am not able to achieve X, Y, and Z. Like, I am terrible. The dark monster of self doubt will rear its ugly head, and I will completely abandon whatever pursuit I had intended upon achieving. So now I'm just trying to, every single day, just be 1% better or being like, oh, like the little things. And those little things compound. And another one of my other favorite books is um, by Darren Hardy. It's called The Compound Effect. And it talks about how the accumulation of like essentially good choices. Um, in any area of your life, do compound to then eventually meet that thing. I don't believe that we achieve greatness in one in giant leaps. I believe we do it in small steps. So would you agree then that like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like if you want to do a project, not waiting for the quote unquote perfect time to do it and just like starting with a small thing because sometimes I find myself being like for instance with this this podcast this is a perfect yeah. example I will I had the thought like well I can't start it until I have like a better podcast set up and of then course. I had to fight that urge and be like no let's just let we got we got what we need is it gonna be like you know professional grade a quality sound that you would have if you had a thousand dollars worth of equipment no but like you can still start it absolutely Okay. Yeah. That's something yeah. that like, I'm also saying to remind myself of, cause it's like, I want the stars to align to do this thing, but you don't necessarily have to do that. You can just take small steps toward it. Completely. And I would say that, um, more often than not, people are, what, what, how would you even say? Um, I don't think anyone's got the perfect setup. And I think that the people who have achieved great things are doing it in spite of having all of the ideal circumstances, um, finances, equipment, and half the time greatness really comes from that. Yeah. And then those are the wonderful stories that you hear. They're like, wow, they did all of this in spite of those things. And I think that everybody honestly is kind of putting it on unless they have achieved a level where they're really able to kind of move with ease and affluence, which I think is a very small percentage of humans. 
Um, I think most people are probably, you know, throwing paint against the wall and winging it. And then we see those every now and then, or they've been doing that for years. And they're like, wow, look at the greatness you've achieved, or look at the mastery you have accomplished. But it's really just been years of small, small efforts against the, like over time, yeah. accumulating that has now uh, created this, um, like, tableau of mastery. Yes. Um, so you, you mentioned you read a lot of these books and you journal as well. Um, mm. Is there, are there other things that you do too to like cultivate this, this sense of, I'm assuming doing these things, journaling and reading help you like gather your thoughts around self-esteem, self-worth, self-love, that type of thing. Do you do Completely. therapy? Do you do like? Oh yeah, I love, I am a big believer that every person should engage in therapy if at some point in their life because yeah. we just, you know, there are things going on that, you know, should be attended to. And it's nice to have an objective perspective to help guide you. Um, but yeah, I love, I love reading. I'm a great lover of knowledge. Um, and I tend to find that if I'm reading some sort of um, stimulating book or nonfiction content that I feel better and I'm constantly like ripping the wisdom from there and it's fusing into my daily life. And if I don't do it for a while, I'll, you know, it's sort of like a muscle. You have to keep working it out, especially your mental health. Yeah. And it's like something that I've come across from doing these interviews is like, things might not, you might not see them as directly correlating with confidence. For example, like reading, you yeah. might not be like, oh, I'll be a more confident person if I read this like fiction novel. Like you might not necessarily right. think that those like, I don't know what the word are, like those are, con those are connected. One leads to Definitely. the other, but they kind of do. They do. Like, I would agree with that. The more you are learning and doing things that you love and care about, whether or not you think it's directly associated with confidence, it does give you confidence. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it's like art. Like I do watercolor and it's like, I don't, does watercolor make me a better auditioner? No, but does watercolor like inadvertently make me more confident, thus make me a better auditioner? Yes. Definitely. Because you're also, it, it, I like that as well, because you're kind of suggesting that the more often you steep in your own energy or the things that you love, the more confident you'll be because you're spending more time with, like, with your true self, whatever that activity may be. Yeah. It's like, it's like find it. Yeah. It's like finding who you are. Absolutely. And Which, I feel you know, like, a lifelong search. I know. I was going to say, like, was it easy for you to find who you were as a kid? For me, it like wasn't. Like, how did your parents affect your confidence as an adult? Um, you know, I honestly have been very blessed with really wonderful parents okay. who, you know, like my mom, I think every single day of her life told me, you're a very important person created by God and he has a wonderful plan for your life. So, and literally every, so, so sweet. She, my mom's so wonderful. Um, and I, like, we just grew up thinking that we could do everything. You know, I think honestly, the more upsetting moments were when we realized we could not, so, but my parents never made me doubt that I could achieve anything that I oh, wanted that's to achieve or couldn't achieve. I love that. Do mm -hmm. you have any like mantras or like words of affirmation that you ever tell yourself, whether it's like right before an audition? I know I keep bringing auditions up, but I feel like that yeah. people don't realize how vulnerable and, um, so true courageous you have to sort of be in those situations but it doesn't necessarily have to do that do has doesn't as, doesn't necessarily have to do with auditions but do you have any like mantras or any sort of like journaling habits or anything that you do to like prepare yourself for big events hmm um I think that 
I don't know if I have quite as many mantras or things like that, but what I always, to, to me, it always comes back to the contract, the concept of mastery and preparedness. So mm. I think that the more prepared I feel or the more prepared I am, the more confident I will be because I will be sure that I have like observed something from every side and every angle. I'm like, I got this. Like there's nothing you can throw at me that I can't take on because I am ready. So, and my life is always, I try to center it around um, the idea of mastery. Not that I have achieved it. I believe that my life is in pursuit of it. Um, but the idea of like constantly growing and cultivating your strengths and focusing in on the area of your actual strengths and not necessarily honing in so much on areas of weakness. I do believe that maybe your extreme weaknesses do a little focusing on because that might give you an indication of things you're really not looking at or not, or neglecting. But the, every single person has their own unique strengths that other people do not share. That like what they bring to life that I, you know, may not come naturally to you and I or to other people. Um, and to really learning what those things are and bringing them to your situations and bringing them into your work environments and into your friend circles and providing value in those areas in which you are gifted. So it's more like know know what you're good at, know who you are, and give that gift to the world. Correct. Absolutely. Because whatever it is that you are good at, it is unique to you and it is connected to your purpose. I guarantee it. You are, you speak so, you're just so well-spoken. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you're, you just seem like you got it together. That's, I, I would not say that necessarily, <laughs> um, but I, you know, and may, who knows, maybe it's the humility or whatever, but, um, I, which sounds awful, probably the intensive humility being like, I'm humble, look at me. Um, <laughs> no, no, but no. no, I think, I don't know. I think I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that in my life, I'm constantly in pursuit of trying to fill the areas uh, and the holes in which the spaces where I feel like I don't have it together because those areas to me are always the most resoundingly loud. There are probably areas in my life in which, like I said, like other people have strengths that I definitely have strength in. And I try to lean into those areas during my day as often as I can to try to enjoy my best self as often as I can. Mm -hmm. But I am very aware of the areas in which I am weak and the areas in which I struggle. And those can cause me a lot of stress and grief. Um, and I'm always trying to uh, like plug up those holes and figure out how to better myself in those areas in which I struggle. Well, this has been an absolute treat. I'm going to go through and read Raquel's uh, list for confidence. Okay. It's a long one. It's a full page. Oh, wow. Look at me go. Uh, okay. Be courageous, which I think is the biggest thing that we've talked about throughout this, um, this session is like courage, be courageous, be authentic. Don't care about what other people think. Treat yourself as you would treat your best friend. Love yourself. Love your body. Be kind. Change your perspective. Accept where you are emotionally and persevere. Learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Journaling. Expressing your emotions. Cast votes for the person you want to be. No achievement is too small. Celebrate them all. Read. Therapy. Be prepared. Slash mastery. Focus on your strengths. Self-awareness. Love it. We did it, everybody. <laughs> Some of these, I'm like looking at these, it's so interesting to see like what shows up on everybody's list. Mm. And therapy has been on, I'm pretty sure on every every single person's list. Right. Hear and that, everyone. Go get yourself a therapist. Yeah. It's a gift to yourself, I promise. <laughs> and being, self being authentic and being self-aware have also been on everybody's 
list, mm. like knowing who you are and like what you bring to the table, you know? Yeah. That, and that can be, that's challenging. Like that takes a long, that takes a long time. And I know that there are some, man, I wish I remembered this online quiz that I did. Um, there's right now, actually, I know we're all in quarantine and I don't know when this will release, but, um, well, Yale, we're in quarantine. okay, great. Well, Yale just released, um, their happiness class for free. And I must admit, I did not complete the course, but in the very first lesson, they give you this, uh, a link to this quiz that tells you your strengths and helps you like show you what your strengths are on this like list of 26 strengths. Um, and I found it incredibly insightful. So go hunt down that Yale happiness. I'm going to do that. that. I'm going to hunt it down right now. I want to know. I have yeah. like, I kind of have an idea, but I would love for Yale to tell me too. I'd love to get yeah. that. <laughs> Actually, I think it's called VIA. I could be wrong, but I think that the place where the quiz itself is, is on a website called VIA. Okay. And be like, look up like VIA character strengths. Okay. Okay. I'm it's worth that. it. Um, well, thank you so much for giving me your time and thank chatting you with me. me. You are, you just speak so eloquently and in a way that like really makes sense to me and in a very thoughtful way, just showing that you have put so much thought into this and, um, it's been really lovely hearing you speak on like continuing to get knowledge about yourself mm. and continuing to learn. Um, I just, I just really admire and love that. Thank you. Thank you. Rebecca, you're the best. Honestly, I really appreciate it. I, I fell in love with you the minute I met you. And I know. So we, nice to get to know you. We really, did fall, we really did fall in love the minute we met. It was immediate. I was like, this girl's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? I'd love to hear from listeners about things that have helped you build your confidence. Whether that's a mantra, a routine, maybe a favorite book or an event that you went through, leave it in the review section. Or if you have a question regarding confidence that you'd love to hear discussed on this podcast, you can leave that in the review section as well and I'll check it out. Thanks again.